The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. And church, I hope you are doing well this morning. I, I am... To say I'm excited for this morning, you're going to hear a little bit more why later, um, but I cannot wait uh, to dig into our text. Uh, believe it or not, we have been in Matthew now for over three months, and we've been taking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we've been walking through, uh, but uh, we're going to have a little bit of a curveball for you as we get ready for Easter. And so I wanted to kind of let you know where we're going, what we're going to be covering the next couple of weeks so that we can all be ready for what God's going to do in our, in our church. Um, so this morning, we're finishing chapter four of Matthew. And um, then starting in chapter five, Matthew is going to shift gears into an incredible section, uh, one sermon of Jesus known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is long. And um, as you'll see, Jesus is like shotgun style in this sermon. We're going to have some fun with it. It is going to be an incredible time. So much here. But here's the thing. We're not going to start chapter 5 next week. Instead, don't worry, we're staying in Matthew. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. But instead, what we're going to do is we're going to spend four weeks together starting next week focusing our hearts on prayer. Um, and um, specifically, it's going to be anchored in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And so, listen, we, church, are a people, as Christians, we are a people of prayer. Um, it's not just our way of, like, coming to God and trying to get him to do what we want him to do for us. It's not just, like, placing our, our heavenly order. It's not what prayer is. It's also not just us just sitting and talking into thin air. It's not what prayer is. Prayer is communion with our God. Prayer is us being in relationship with God. It's an act of worship. It's how we rest in Christ. It's how we live in Christ. And I don't say this lightly. Prayer is the most central, foundational, spiritual discipline of our faith. And yet for so many of us, prayer can be a struggle. Am I doing it right? How long should I do it for it to count? What if my mind just will not stop roaming to other places? Does that still count? What if I get bored? What if I'm really mad at God today? Would he rather me not talk to him today because I'm mad? Should I wait till I clean up my attitude a little bit? Like all these questions that I think we have if we're honest about prayer. How should I pray? If you've ever wondered, how, Lord, should I pray? You are not alone. Um, in, in Luke, in Luke's Gospels, the, the disciples actually ask him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And, and Jesus' response over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at the way Jesus responds to that question. How should we pray? And so, um, we're going to look at the prayer that Jesus gave us as an example, and we're going to talk about prayer. So, here's where we're going. Starting next week, March 3rd, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. 
March 10th, we're going to be from that talking about praying together. From that next week, we're going to be talking about praying alone. And then leading up to Easter, Palm Sunday, we are going to be looking at skipping ahead to Matthew 26 to look specifically at one prayer, and that is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is really going to prepare our hearts for Easter. And um, honestly, that's our prayer for this entire four weeks leading to Easter, that our hearts would be prepared as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And then after Easter, don't you worry, we're going to be going right back. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, we're buckling in. We're going we're gonna to be in it for, for a while. Um, so we're still going to be in Matthew. We're just going to be moving around a bit, focusing on prayer before we settle in. Does that make sense? I hope it does. I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited about where we're going together. I hope you're going to be able to join us. But that is enough of looking ahead because today we have an absolutely beautiful text. If you have your Bible, grab it. Would you open with me to the very, very end of Matthew 4? We're going to be in 23, 24, and 25 today. Um, so grab your Bibles there. And by the way, if, if you are using one of our journal Bibles, I didn't bring mine up here, should have. Um, it's on page 22. I'll, I'll help you out there. Um, and, and if you don't have one, if you don't have one of our Matthew journal Bibles, um, I want to invite you. We have copies in the back. I want to invite you to grab one. And uh, on your way out in our lobby, make sure to pick up a copy. It's free of charge. It's our pleasure to be able to give these away. All I ask you to do is, is go to stonicbible.com slash Matthew to let us know that you're grabbing one. Um, we're not going to ask for any credit card information there. It's nothing like that. We just want to know so we can order more and, and keep them coming. So, so please go to Matthew, uh, stonicbible.com slash Matthew, reserve your copy, and then pick up that copy before you leave today. We would love to give you that um, today. So... We are going to finish Matthew 4. I want to read it for us, and then I want to pray for us, and then I want to share. We'll, we'll walk through it together, and I'll share why this week has been so meaningful to me personally. Um, let me read this for us. Our text, Matthew 4, 23, says this. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to Decop um, and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. All right, let's, let's pray together. And then let's get to work together. Lord, um, I thank you for this time that you have given us, that you have made, and I pray that you are honored and glorified in it, and I pray that you speak through it. I pray that this time is not limited by my ability to speak, but that you would speak, and that this would be more than just the sum to total of my words, but that this would be your word given to us through Scripture and that we would apply, and that it would sink in. We pray that, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this text paints a clear picture. We have Jesus' ministry that is rolling, full steam here. 
And uh, if you remember G, uh, John the Baptist, he kind of stayed and hunkered down in one place and they came to him. That's not what we see here in Jesus. Jesus here is roaming around and, and he's on the move. He's going throughout all Galilee and he was going out moving and he had a very clear and a very specific purpose. And if you look at verse 23 again, he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So here we see Matthew giving us three distinct things that Jesus was doing, teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease. These are the three things that Jesus was doing. I want to look at these in turn, and I want to start with the first one, which is teaching in their synagogues. I want to break that down. As we look at this, first of all, let me ask you about that pronoun, there. Who is there? Well, there is the people of Israel. It's a reference to the Jewish people who are waiting for their Messiah. This is the people that John was calling to repent. That's the there here. The people of God, how do we know that? Because they are the ones with the synagogue. <laughs> Um, this is a reference to them. And, and by the way, what is a synagogue? This word may sound a little foreign to um, Western ears, especially if you're a part of the church, it might be foreign to you. Um, the synagogues were places that the people gathered, and it's a word, synagogue, it's roughly translated into the congregation. That's what this is. And, and at the time of Jesus, there was a synagogue in every city in every city, and this is the kind of a sacred spaces for the Jewish people to come. And, and, and the synagogue kind of embodied and represented the whole of the people of Israel. And that may sound weird, but it's similar to the way we understand church today. And what I mean by this is the term church, it actually means ecclesia, it means um, the gathered ones, it means a gathering, very similar uh, to the word synagogue. Um, and, and just like synagogues in Jesus' time, we too have local churches scattered all throughout our community. And, and, and even as we are one of those local churches, we are also the church as the global church together. And, and so in that way, the church is both local and global. So for example, we are Stone Oak Bible Church here. When I say Stone Oak Bible Church, I am in no way saying that we are the only church. I'm also not even saying that we are the only church in Stone Oak. I am also not saying that we're the only church that has a Bible. Like, you break down our name. I'm not claiming exclusivity. What I am claiming is that we are the church, the local church, and part of the church, the global church. And it's very similar here um, that, we, that we see with the synagogue. So we, we are the body of Christ and part of the global body. We are the church and we're part of the global church. Um, here for the Jewish people in their synagogues, these were all independent and yet they were connected. They were all connected together, and the synagogues represented the Jewish people as a whole. And it's where the rabbis would teach. It's where the people would come and learn and worship. It's where they would re read scripture, come around scripture, sing psalms and prayer. It's, that's where it happened. And these synagogues were kind of a sacred space for the Jewish people. And so what was Jew Jesus doing? Well, he was going into those sacred spaces, into those synagogues. He was going in there um, 
and he was teaching. Okay, this is so significant. Not just anyone could walk into a synagogue and teach. In fact, there were not that, very, that many people who could walk into a synagogue and teach. In a small way, I think we understand this, and I mean in a very small way. Um, you can't just walk into Stone Oak Bible Church and say, can I have the pulpit next week? No. If that's you and you're a visitor with us, no. You, 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 you cannot. Um, I'll never forget, there, there has been a few times in our church where there was, a, there was a guest with us, I mean, on the second week who met with me and asked, like, can I preach? And, and I remember just thinking, absolutely not. <laughs> but I remember just telling him, like, first of all, appreciating the heart to teach, that's a good thing. It's a great thing. But as an elder, one of my main responsibilities is to protect the pulpit. And, um, and, and so as I gave him a no, I remember telling him, listen, you don't want to go to a church where the pastor would say yes to your question. You don't want to go to that, that church on your second week to be, pre no, um, why? It's because we seek to protect this. We seek to guard this for the glory of God, for the good of the church. Um, but listen, the impulse to protect this in the pulpit here at Stone Oak Bible Church just scratches the surface of, of the, what the synagogue would be doing in discouraging some level of open mic night. In the synagogue, the right to teach was reserved for the rabbi. Rabbi means teacher, but it's more than just a self-professed teacher. It was a well-respected man in the Jewish community, and, it's, and, and the rabbis were the leaders of the community. And in this time, rabbi was kind of an honorary distinction given. Kind of the way we, throw, we, we use the word doctor. If you see, you know, doctor so-and-so in the church preaching, you don't want them, like, when you're sick, don't call them. They're, they're a doctor in the church. It's a, it's a distinction for ministry in the church. It's the same kind of thing with, with rabbis. But here's the thing. These rabbis were men who have gone through rigorous training in the law. I mean, they memorized it. They could teach it with their eyes closed. Like, that's, that's rabbis. More than that, too, they were descended most often, directly from one of the ancient prophets. In other words, these rabbis had both the training and the pedigree to teach in the synagogue. You don't just show up out of nowhere and teach in a synagogue. Being regarded as a rabbi was a huge deal. Huge deal. And here, church, Jesus steps in and teaches in the synagogues as a rabbi. Let me just... Maybe this passes by you. This is a massive statement of who Jesus is. Jesus was claiming both a mastery of the law, which we kind of saw demonstrated when he was tempted, right? In chapter four, when he was just like spouting off Isaiah like it was memory, right? We kind of saw that. But he's also saying, not only do I have a mastery of the scripture, I have the pedigree, which guess what? We kind of saw that in Matthew 2, didn't we? Matthew 1, son of Abraham, son of David. Here, Jesus is making a huge 
statement. My point here is that the, in it, the, the synagogue did not just open its pulpits to, to anyone because they're interesting, because they wrote a book, because they bring crowds. They didn't do this. You couldn't just say, hey, I know the pastor. Let me, let me talk. Jesus here was teaching in the synagogues, and by doing so, he was claiming something very specific. He was a rabbi with the mastery of the scripture and the pedigree. Jesus had the right to teach in their synagogue, and as he taught in these synagogues, he was making a claim about who he was. Jesus is, is teaching in the synagogue, making a public statement to both the leaders and to the people, to the congregation, of who he was and his authority as a rabbi, but even more than that, um, he was going to these sacred spaces for the people and beginning to teach with the authority of the Son of God, the King. We'll see that here in a bit. But here we have Jesus going, teaching in the synagogues. But that's not it. He doesn't only go to the sacred spaces for the people. He also, second, we see Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Break this one down. Proclaiming is a to announce something. It's a public announcement. And so he here, it's the word we use for preach. And, and in, in other words, Jesus wasn't going just to the local synagogues to throw it down with the teachers and rabbis and teach and get into the deep. No, he, he was not just sitting down to explain the law to those who was in the synagogue and the sacred places. No, Jesus was taking the gospel to the streets. He was, he was publicly announcing, publicly preaching. He was loudly proclaiming something. And what was he proclaiming? The gospel. And, and the gospel literally means good news. It's um, good tidings. He was announcing something good. And what was it he announcing? He was announcing the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. He came to give good news. It, it reminds me of what Isaiah prophesied so long ago. And Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Church, this is the good news that Jesus was proclaiming. This is the gospel that he was proclaiming. From the synagogues to the streets to the secular spaces to the sacred spaces. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and the image that Matthew is giving us here is Jesus is going around preaching kind of open air. Preaching spontaneously, open-air crowds as a prophet. And he's making guest appearances in all the local synagogues as a rabbi. This is what Jesus is doing here. But there's one more thing Jesus is doing. He's teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then what else? Well, he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. I mentioned this before. This does not mean that Jesus was a medical doctor and like a trained physician where he's meeting the normal care of the people here. Um, we're about to see this very clearly as Jesus' ministry continues. But, but Jesus here is healing people physically. He's meeting their physical needs as well as their spiritual, but he's doing so through supernatural power. There is no 
illness that was too difficult for Jesus to heal or too small for Jesus to heal for that matter. If you look at verse 24, his fame is spreading throughout all Syria. And then look at what happens. They're bringing all the sick, which means various diseases and pains. You got oppression in there. You got seizures. You have paralytics. He's healing them all. He's healing them all from the lesser, more trivial to the more serious and curable diseases. He is healing them all. There's nothing too big, nothing too small. And, and understand with us, these miracles, they were verifiable, not vague. Right? They, the people, in other words, were seeing the power of God um, before them, demonstrated through the work of Jesus. And, and they were witnessing these healings, these powerful healings taking place. And Matthew will link these healings and the healing ministry of Jesus, which we'll talk about much more later. But he links it back to a prophecy of Isaiah. We see this in Matthew 8, where, where Matthew will say this was all, the, the healings was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. Matthew is linking this to the prophet's words. This is exactly what Jesus is, is doing here. Um, I want to quote Spurgeon here. And um, you may, you know, poke at me because I do this quite a bit, but I love Spurgeon and he's known as the prince of preachers. So if a preacher doesn't quote him, you got to question that preacher, okay? Um, Spurgeon's the man. But I, he was preaching a sermon on this. And um, it struck me. He, he says it like this. He says, teaching and preaching go well with healing, Thus, soul and body are both taken care of. Our Lord's great power is seen in the universality of his healing energy, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Then he says this, dwell on those words, all manner. Because our Lord was not content with miracles for the body. He had the gospel for the soul. The gospel which lies in his own person as king and his promise of pardon to believers and his rule of love over those who are loyal to him. He preached the gospel of the kingdom, a right royal gospel which made men kings and priests. And he finishes with this prayer. He says this, Lord, I know the truth and certainty of thy gospel for I have felt thy healing upon, hand upon my, my own heart. May I feel the rule and power of thy kingdom and joyfully yield myself to thy sway. It's a powerful picture of Jesus' mission and his power as king, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and revealing his power. And so Jesus went out, traveled out, went to the streets and the synagogues, teaching and preaching the gospel, meeting the needs of the people, both the physical and spiritual needs. And then what happened? Well, verse 24, we see, his fame is starting to spread. Then in verse 25, we see, man, a great number of crowds were starting to follow him. And um, Matthew's point here is to show us that Jesus' teachings and miracles were, were so amazing that word began to spread fast and, and far. And... Uh, Keep in mind, I, sh I don't probably need to say this, but this is a before internet age when, when like news travels in a second all over the globe, like even bad news and crazy news will spread. This is far before, this is 
we're talking first century here. News does not travel fast here. It's slow and it's word of mouth. And here the ministry of Jesus because of his power and because of his teaching, people came from 100 miles to just see him. Great crowds following, traveling with him, going with him everywhere. Okay, here's where I need to pause and confess something um, and why I said this was such an impactful week. Um, when I started reading and working through this text and studying it, I was, I was a little annoyed by this. I mean, were all these people just coming to just get all the miracles? Was this like a traveling circus that they were like, oh, I want to see what's going on here. Like, was, was that it? Were they just coming for the show? Were they just a bunch of fans, spectators? Listen, I was annoyed by this. I viewed this as being like a, uh, when, I, when I was studying this. And the truth is, yes, probably most of them were. I mean, to witness power and authority like this, I mean, many of them were just coming to see it. So yes, I was annoyed. But then something hit me in a really unexpected, really unexpected way that just stopped me. I mean, in my tracks this week. And um, as I was preparing this message, at this point, my sermon prep kind of stopped. I was almost done with my message. I mean, I was almost done on Wednesday. And yet Thursday happened. And I just took like 75% of this thing and just, poof, because I just deleted it, started again, because God just stopped me. And, and something hit me really hard as I was preparing and spending time in Matthew 4. And it may sound simple. And you may think, well, duh. It wasn't duh to me, though. What hit me is that many people were coming to Jesus here simply because they were hurting. They were coming to him because they were broken and sick and at their very end. They were coming to him because they were lost and they were confused. And here in this text, we have the king, the rabbi, the Messiah, the one the, uh, on, with the mission from God, the all-powerful one. We have Jesus here showing compassion. And so much compassion here. We see his true mission here. And then all of a sudden, the words of Isaiah hit me. I already put it up here. I'm going to do it again. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, then opening the prison to those who were bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for, of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus was coming on a mission for the hurting and sick, those who are broken. Jesus will say this clearly in Luke 5 when he answers them and say, those who are well, they don't have need of a physician, but those who are sick, 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Like this is Jesus's mission. He ministers to the broken and sick and he asks nothing in return, doesn't ask for wealth, for money. He doesn't ask anything from them. He just has compassion on them. He meets them where they are, meeting their physical as well as their spiritual needs. In other words, Jesus does not see these crowds as a nuisance the way I did. He doesn't see them as a burden. He sees them as people who are hurting and he meets them in their hurt with his healing power. And so I had to just check my heart here and repent here. Because if Jesus didn't see these people as a nuisance, why should I? And if Jesus didn't see them as a burden or an obstacle to the greater mission, then why should I? It was in this moment that it just hit me that instead of being annoyed by these crowds, I started to read this text and just begin to get overwhelmed by the compassion and love of Jesus where Jesus calls me not to be annoyed by these crowds, but to almost join with these crowds. Jesus who would look and see broken people, broken people like me, you see his compassion. This text reminded me of the mission of Jesus. It is for broken people. This is why he came, to seek to save the lost, to save sinners like me, to heal broken like me. And look at the way Jesus ministers to this, these people. Jesus cares for the whole person, the physical and the spiritual. He meets them where they are, and he offers through his power, he offers healing. This is why the crowds were coming. I'm sure there was some boneheads that were just there to spectate. That shouldn't stop me from seeing the beauty of what Jesus is doing in this text. This is why the word was spreading. The way I thought about it and the way it hit is, is Jesus here is not only demonstrating his great power, which he was, but here he is also demonstrating his great compassion. And that's worth traveling hundreds of miles for. Matthew tells us that his, spread, his fame spreads and the crowds grow and Jesus' public ministry is just off to the races at this point. And um, with that, I want to settle on five things very quickly. The five things are the ident- identity of Jesus, the message, the power, the heart, and our response. And I want to look at these five things in turn very quickly. First, with the identity. Who is Jesus? Well, he is the one, as our text says, who went through Galilee teaching in the synagogues. Meaning from this text, we see Jesus revealing who he is. I am the one who is, has every right to teach. The son of God, the king, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Messiah, the one prophesied about through this simple and short text, we see who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. He's the king. Number two, the message of Jesus. What was the message of Jesus? Well, the message was Jesus was the one who was sent to proclaim the good news or the gospel of the kingdom. By the way, that's the same good news we still stand on and proclaim today. This is the message of Jesus. So we have Jesus is the king. That's his identity. Jesus' message is the good news of the kingdom. That's his message. Number three, we see the power of Jesus. 
the one who has the power. We see in our text, Jesus, the one who went out healing every disease and every affliction among the people. We see the power of God meeting both physical and spiritual needs. Only the power of Christ. Only he has the power to save. So as we look at this, identity of Jesus, he's the king. Jesus' message was the gospel of the kingdom. That's his message. Jesus has all the power to heal the body, heal the soul. This is the power of Jesus. Fourth, we see the heart of Jesus. The one who would look at the broken and look at the sick and would not turn them away or take advantage of them or build his kingdom on their shoulders. Instead, they bring all who are sick, those afflicted and oppressed and broken. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't push past them, ignore them, or see them as a nuisance to his real bigger mission. No, he meets them and he heals them. Meaning, Jesus not only has the power to heal, he has the compassion to heal. Church, he not only has the power to heal today, he has the compassion to heal. Jesus is king. That's who he is. That's his identity. His message is the gospel of the kingdom. His power is the one to heal both body and soul. His power of Jesus. And his heart is for the broken. Compassionate, loving, and kind This is the heart of Jesus. So in light of that, what's our response? What do we do? I was hit because I I remembered one verse that just smacked me in the face. And it's in Matthew, so it even works, okay? Here. But I remember a text that Jesus tells us exactly what our response must be. And that's Matthew 11. Matthew eleven twenty eight. if you remember, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Church, in light of our text today, in light of Jesus who is king, Jesus whose message is the gospel, Jesus who has all the power, and Jesus whose heart is full of compassion for the broken, in light of all of that, our response is simply this, come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Our call is to be like the people in our text. Instead of being annoying, annoyed about them, Jesus is inviting me and inviting us to be like them, to come in our brokenness, no matter who you are, where you're from, what's going on in your life, what you're facing, Jesus's call to you because of who he is, his power, his message, and his heart. His call to you is come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is the king, and he has both the power and the compassion to do that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because Jesus says, I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. You're gonna find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation for us today is simple and our response in light of this text is simple. Come to him. 
Now, with that, I want to ask you, what does that mean to come to Jesus? First, it means that you confess him and trust him. That you believe and confess who he said he was to be true and that you trust in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We confess, we trust Christ. That's first. But I want to talk to my brothers and sisters in this room who are in Christ, who've placed your faith in Christ, who trust him. Listen, the second thing that it means to come to Christ means that now in Christ, believing in Christ, we get to come to him daily open-handed. What I mean by this is you never outgrow or, or outmature your need for a savior and your need for Christ. You will never no longer need Jesus in Jesus. The Christian walk and maturity in the faith means that we understand that we know that we must come to Christ daily with our sin, our struggles, our sickness, our doubt, our fear, our anxiety. And that coming to Christ means we confess and trust him, but it also means we come to him with open hands. As Philippians 4 tells us, says this, the Lord is at hand, meaning he's near says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. His heart and compassion does not end for you when he saved you. Church, it continues day by day as he sustains you. Jesus is king. It's his identity. Jesus' message is the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus has all the power to heal both the body and the soul. And Jesus' heart is for the broken and the brokenhearted. He has the compassion and love and kindness so church today, Jesus' own words then now invites you in light of that. And I want to read it one more time because his words is better than mine. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light.